Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. So to get to see you guys tonight, it's nice to see one. Last time I was in the stage, I was being screamed at from about 200 kids. So uh, this is a nice, nice change. Uh, I'm also kind of wishing that uh, Kanye West's Jesus Walk was in the, um, the playlist. I think that would have been a nice addition to our worship tonight. Um, as Cole has said, um, my name is Reggie. I've been on staff here as associate recreation minister uh, for just over a year. I think we have a couple pictures of my family as well. That is my wife, Sarah. We've been married for uh, three years, coming up next month. Um, and then the next slide, because they are not happy in that picture. Um, that, the oldest one is Isla, and the youngest one is Hazel. Ha- I mean, Isla is 21 months old, and Hazel is uh, four months old and has no idea what a camera is. <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I was leaving for work, and... Um, I was, uh, I was at the point now where she's starting to say things that I'm like, I don't know how you picked that up from who, but really glad you did. And, um, she said, love you on the way out. And I was like, hold on, what? And so I came back inside just to see if I actually heard what it is she said. And it was, she said, I love you, daddy. So it was the first time she'd ever said it. I lost it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm really glad to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, as we are diving into John. 6, verse 16 through 21. Danny, thank you for reading that so much. Um, <clears throat> as I was uh, kind of preparing, uh, I had a moment where I thought back to uh, a preacher that I'd heard preach this particular text uh, years ago when I was a teenager. And um, <clears throat> he was a prosperity preacher. Uh, my family spent some time kind of being steeped in that uh, pretty deeply. And uh, one of the things that he shared was that if I had faith if whoever was listening to him had faith that we could go and walk on water. Now, I was probably 11 or 12, and I'm looking at the bathroom like, there's no way this is, this is actually real. <laughs> there's no way I'm actually going to be able to walk on water. I never tried it, but I think we know how that would have uh, ended. Uh, tonight, I kind of want to start with uh, just talking about this word of, of, about miracles, Right? Miracle seems to be a word that's thrown around a lot these days. And a lot of times the context that I hear it in is when it regards sports. I love basketball. Basketball is my favorite uh, sport to watch. Uh, and so typically if you hear a broadcaster or someone who's written an article um, on uh, ESPN about a miracle that's happened, it's like a, a last-second touchdown bomb that they've thrown to win the game or it's a player who's hit a shot um, that is a last-second shot, and his team wins the game, right? They say it's a miracle. <clears throat> but that in and of itself does not reflect the context in which uh, this word is actually rooted in in the Bible, right? Because when we talk about it in sports, it comes from a perspective of it is underneath our own strength and power. This person, whoever it is that's hit this incredible shot, has somehow achieved this, uh, this level of will and determination that somehow sets them above everybody else that leads to this incredible moment of uh, this game-winning shot. But that's not at all what the word miracles is talking about. And for me, what drives this home is we took a mission trip last year to Colorado. 
Uh, it was a group of about 25 folks here from Dawson. Uh, we went to go support a church that uh, does, instead of a VBS, they do a sports camp. Uh, and so we went, uh, our team, to go and help them put on this camp. And uh, the coach that I talked to that week for the local football team was telling me that um, where he is, it is very much a post-Christian area. Right, like he cannot talk about his faith in school. He's gotten in trouble praying with his kids before, um, <clears throat> and but he had an opportunity to bring some of his football players, and he knew very well that he was probably going to get in trouble for this. But he brought them to the camp uh, so they could be a part and experience what it looks like to serve other people. Okay, so um, he talks about this story. Uh, that he tells doing sort of like a halftime huddle, which is essentially all the kids are together. Um, we're singing songs. We're eating a snack. We're cooling off from the heat. But he tells a story about a miracle that happened with one of his football players. Football player fell ill. He had the flu. But it was a little bit more than what his parents uh, had imagined it would be. Right. So they said, all right, there's something else that's going on here. And so they end up taking him to the hospital. His flu progresses from that to um, heart failure, lung failure, kidney failure. Um, and <clears throat> uh, what they discover is that he has a bacterial overinfection in his blood. Days later, the news gets worse. The bacteria makes its way down to his leg. And so his parents are faced with the decision that as a parent, you would never want to make for your own kid, which is do we amputate his leg to save his life or not? And so they end up making the choice to amputate his leg, and it saved his life. Uh, but the following week, they were told that he was going into liver failure and that he would only have six hours to live. So the coach and some folks from the community, uh, this church meets in the middle school in the area, and so uh, they have a really nice football field behind it. And so they arrange for a prayer, a prayer vigil where about 200 people show up and they plead before the God of the universe to do something that man, that doctors, that medicine cannot do. And as they are praying for this guy, his numbers begin to slowly improve. The very next night, they do the same thing again. 200 people show up, and his numbers continue to improve. Where this kid was alive, he was at the camp with his uh, prosthetic leg, but he was, he was so joyful to be there. That is a miracle, right? <clears throat> this account that we're going to read about tonight is about a miracle. Not a miracle performed by a mere man. It's performed by someone who was both fully God and fully man. This miracle is told to us in Matthew, Mark, and the book of John with slightly varying details. But the cornerstone of each account is a declaration of who Jesus is. And that's kind of really what I want to go tonight as we talk about this miracle of Jesus walking on the water. That it is a revelation. It is his divinity on display uh, to the disciples and to us as well. All right. <clears throat> All three share the same story of Jesus walking on water. He didn't swim out. There was no sandbar he was walking on. He wasn't being pulled on a boat on jet skis. Um, <clears throat> he walked on top of water in the middle of a raging storm. And I hope tonight we can, we can, we can Im imagine what that must be like. That doesn't make sense to me. Right? That is something uh, that I would never want to willingly do, at least. Um, <clears throat> With the exception of Peter and Matthew, you can look on the internet, you can look in the internet book, um, uh, you can look in history books, and you're never going to find someone who was 100% human and walked on water. Although there are some pretty great uh, prank videos out there uh, that kind of show that. Um, so let's consider the word of the Lord. Verse 16, when evening came, 
his disciples went down to the sea. The words, uh, when evening came, uh, begs the question, well, what happened early in the day? What preceded this particular miracle, right? And that miracle we know was Jesus feeding the 5,000. He had five loaves of bread and two fish, which I'm like, was that salmon? Was it cod? Like, what kind of fish are we talking about here? Um, but he used that to feed thousands of people. Avery did a great job talking about that two weeks ago. Really enjoyed her sermon. Um, but this, these back-to-back miracles are not, this is not a magic show, right? This is not a magician that's moving from one act to the next, doing one cool thing and trying to one-up himself. This is Jesus revealing exactly who he is through the miracles that he performs, miracles that no one else but God can do. And I think it begs for us to pause quickly and say that there is something here to be said about clarity, that God is a God of clarity. God is not a God of confusion. You look at our world today, and there is so much confusion that's going on, and yet who God is has been revealed through Scripture. And so we have the ability to be able to know who he is, and the reality also is that God desires for us to know who he is. Verse 17, it says, And they got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Feeding of the 5,000 takes place late in the afternoon, and now it was evening. The disciples hop into a boat, and they head for Capernaum, which is about five miles uh, west of where they are. Now, there is nothing easy about this journey. This would be an extremely difficult crossing. The Sea of Galilee that they are crossing, it lies about 600 feet below sea level. And so when you have cool air that's coming in to displace the warm air that sits above the lake, then it produces something called violent squalls. Now, in case you don't have James Spann on uh, speed dial, a, a, a squall is a, a sudden sharp increase in wind speed that lasts several minutes as opposed to a wind gust, which lasts several seconds. So what makes this crossing that much more difficult was that when Jesus was walking on water, when he appeared to the disciples, it was during the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Now, how do we know this? Well, that's one of the details that Mark includes in his account of this story. This also means that they had been rowing for at least nine hours. You can imagine what it must have been like for the disciples. It's dark. The, the water's choppy. The wind is blowing, and not just like a gentle, cool breeze. I'm talking about gusts of wind. <clears throat> the image you hear is quite scary. Uh, verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. John is painting for us a picture that this is not a weather situation that we want to be caught up in. <clears throat> Certainly not one that you would want to be rowing a boat in. I remember the first time I went to the beach uh, and it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and I remember that um, when we got to the beach, I, I said, forget the stuff. I'm going straight to the water. And as I see it begin to elevate, uh, I'm just completely amazed by, by what I see. But if you know the ocean well enough, you know the ocean is completely, it's not just massive. It's unpredictable, right? Um, it is scary at times. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And one of those times that I got to experience that was when my wife and I had our honeymoon. 
sort of a little backstory. We, uh, we had our, uh, we planned a wedding during COVID. Uh, and so that really affected our plans. And um, my wife's parents uh, actually got COVID about a month before the wedding. My father-in-law ended up in the ICU for about a week and a half. And uh, we had no idea what was going to happen. We didn't know if he was going to make it out of there alive. We didn't know what kind of condition he was going to be in. Uh, and so uh, we didn't plan a honeymoon. About two weeks beforehand, he gets out of the hospital. He's cleared to come to the wedding. And so we end up, by the grace of a good friend of mine who allows us to use their uh, beach condo, uh, we go down to the beach. There's one day in the following week, a couple of days before we come back to leave, um, we're walking down the beach. Uh, my wife likes to go people watching. I absolutely hate it. Uh, but as we were walking back to our seats, I see this older couple that's standing on the shoreline. And I'm like, what are they doing? And so I look at what they're peering out into the distance, and it's this man with, his, uh, with a young uh, boy that's out there. So we kind of walk a little bit longer, and there was just something in me that could not just walk past that. There was a reason why they were staring off into the distance. And so as I turn around to go look at what's going on, I see this massive wave that is coming behind this man and this young kid that they have no idea is coming. And then it hits them right from the back. And they're underwater for probably five, maybe 10 seconds. And then when that water eventually recedes and hits the shoreline, the boy pops up and he's yelling, help. And so all of these college age young boys run and they swim to go get him and they bring him out, bring him out of the water. And, but the other guy, he's not, he's not moving, he's not um, swimming, he's not doing anything. And so uh, a couple guys and myself go and we grab him. Uh, may I also add that this is a day where a double red flag is flying. And so nobody else was in the water but, these, um, but this kid and uh, uh, the man. And uh, we grab him, we bring him on the beach. My wife, who is a nurse at Children's, uh, she performed CPR in this guy, and about 12 minutes in, we realized what we thought to be the case when we pulled him out of the water, which was he was dead. Imagine experiencing that on your honeymoon. Uh, I pray none of you have to experience that. Um, but to me, that was a clear picture of the magnitude of the water that day, of what was surrounding him. <clears throat> We pick up at the text in verse 19, and it says, um, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, may I remind us that they are not hugging the shoreline here. There's no GPS. There's no navigation system. <clears throat> Rowing in the dark in a raging storm, you can imagine the fear. You can imagine the tension on the boat, Right? Now, both Matthew and Mark mentioned that Jesus had commanded the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. And so it's not far-fetched for us to imagine that maybe in the, in the middle of this perilous storm, they're wondering internally and maybe even asking out loud among themselves, where is Jesus? Right? He told us to go to the other side, and now he's not here with us? <clears throat> As all of us, at some point in our lives, have asked this question, where is Jesus? And maybe some of us, even right now, are asking that question as well. I was watching a, a recent interview by a guy named Sean Strickland. He's a, a UFC fighter, a really nice guy. And he, um, he was sharing a story about his childhood. 
about uh, the abuse that he endured at the hands of an alcoholic father. Um, he talked about how he, uh, his teachers uh, never really got to understand sort of his background, his story, to understand like why he was falling asleep every day in class. And he said, I'm falling asleep because I'm staying up to 3 o'clock in the morning trying to protect my mom and make sure that she's okay, that she's protected, right? And he goes to say one of the most haunting things I've ever heard, which is, I remember the day that I stopped believing in God. Now, the reality that we know is that this is not just his experience. This is a whole lot of people in the world that surround us, in the schools that you go to, the classrooms you sit in, the places you work. There are people that this matches their life, right? <clears throat> and this is a weighty question of where is Jesus? We can talk about the depravity that exists in the world today. It feels like every day I watch or I read an article of someone in ministry or someone who has a certain place of responsibility in the school system or uh, on a, a sports team, and uh, they're taking advantage of someone uh, that they shouldn't be taking advantage of. <clears throat> Sickness is all around us. My, mother's grandma, uh, my wife's grandmother right now is on her second bout of cancer. She's got stage four liver disease. Um, she's in the hospital battling COVID right now, Right? We don't know what's going to happen. And I know that's not just true for my family in the way that sickness has sort of ravaged uh, some of the very people that we love. Uh, but I'm sure that's the case for some of the people in the room tonight. We look at the violence that occurs in our world today. I don't know if you guys know this, but a uh, week before last, there were uh, six people killed in Birmingham on one day. Four of those were putting on a, uh, a neighborhood car wash, washing the cars for their neighbors. And so many came and shot all of them and killed all of them. <clears throat> this is not, we are not so far removed from that. And I also don't pretend to know what each of you bring to the table tonight as well. <clears throat> but I know for a lot of us, we are asking, where is Jesus? In the middle of the storm that I'm facing, in the middle of this difficult circumstance, where is Jesus? We go back to the disciples when they see Jesus walking on water, but not recognizing that it's him. And I want us to look close at what Jesus says. All right. Uh, verse 20, he says, but he said to them, it is I do not be afraid. The New Living Translation version says, don't be afraid. I am here. The message version, um, which, you know, take that for you will. It's me. <laughs> it's all right. Don't be afraid. I really love, honestly, the way that the Message Bible communicates Jesus' response here, right? I can imagine myself sort of having that same level of response, a good father who shows compassion and love towards his kid, who sees him in a situation that is dark and one that they feel like they cannot escape from. I hear his voice saying, it's me. It's all right. Don't be afraid. It is I is such a powerful phrase coming from Jesus. And what is he saying here? He's saying that it is me who is showing dominion and power over the very thing that he created. And this is a miracle, right? That Jesus walked on water, right? But it's also Jesus displaying his full divinity. Being both fully God and fully man, it is confirm Jesus confirming to his disciples that he is exactly who he said he is. And that's a question that we're going to have to wrestle with, uh, particularly for the rest of our lives, especially when we find ourselves in difficult moments. 
is do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do? <clears throat> the one who is present, the one who created the wind and the waves and rains and rules over every little thing. Yes, Jesus is seeking to reassure the disciples in their fear. But more than that, he is primarily proclaiming and confirming the nature of who he is. And I don't want us to miss this. Because miracles aren't just about the, the outcome of what Jesus has done, right? And the, or the healing that's taking place. It is about us being able to see and understand who Jesus is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus is not a ghost hovering over the water to wow his disciples. He is God in flesh walking across the water on sandals, showing that he is the very creator of the sea that he is standing on. For Jesus... It was enough to announce his presence, but I often wonder for how many of us the presence of Jesus is not enough in the middle of a storm that we face. <clears throat> how often do we want to exchange the presence of Jesus for the tangible work of Jesus? How, long do, how often do we want, instead of sitting and dwelling with Jesus in the midst of whatever we're facing, that we want Jesus to just simply take care of whatever this, this issue is so that we can simply get to the other side of it? Right? We may say that I know that Jesus is with me, but do we actually believe that? And I know it's been said of me, I think it's human nature, but uh, I know it's been uh, sort of a theme in my life at times, is that often when I am exp uh, experiencing something difficult, what I want is just simply to get to the other side of whatever difficult thing that I am facing. I don't want to consider what may Jesus be doing in me. How is he using this particular circumstance to transform me more and more into the image of his son, Jesus? I had this a couple months ago, and I'm sure Karen probably relates to this. Uh, Hazel is four months old, and Hazel had a couple of issues where uh, she had some issues with feeding. She had a lip tie, a tongue tie, which also meant that she would not take a passy. So if you've ever tried to calm a screaming baby uh, without a passy, it's hard. It's difficult. All right? I found myself many times simply just wanting to, look, I just want her to get to like one, two years old so that this is no longer an issue, so that I don't have to deal with hearing her cry, um, <clears throat> so that I'm not having to wake up throughout the night and go and comfort her. And that's a very self-centered response coming from a dad, right? But I, I, like I said, I, I'd be willing to bet that like many of us have that same response to some of the things that we experience in life, right? <clears throat> I want to look at Isaiah 43 uh, very quickly, which is written to the Israelites at a time when scholars believe they're about midway through the Babylonian uh, exile. Hundreds of miles away from home, they have no hope of release from slavery. And I would like for us to hear the word of the Lord to Israel and to us tonight. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. 
I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah, speaking a word of hope to Israel in the midst of what had to be or what felt like this long, continuous, dark, raging storm where there is no other side that they can see, where there is no escape from this, where you are waiting on God to do what he said that he will do. He encourages us uh, by saying, fear not, for I am with you. And it's the same response that Jesus gives to the disciples when he says, but he said to them, it is I do not be afraid. It's no accident that Jesus was walking near the boat on the water when the disciples see him. Jesus walking on the water was exactly what they needed to see in the middle of the storm. The presence of Jesus, the creator of the universe, and complete control over the very thing that he created. My daughter loves to play this game, and um, it's a game where um, she stands on the side of the bed, and I pick her up, and I toss her as high as I can. She lands on the bed, of course. Um, but um, she absolutely loves that game. And so that's kind of one of the things that we do before bed every single night. So we play this game until I get tired, until she gets tired, right? But to me, that is a clear example. Like, she trusts me. She knows that I'm not going to pick her up and, like, throw her into the wall, right? <clears throat> she knows that um, if she does get hurt in some capacity, I'm going to check on her. I'm going to remind her, like, hey, I'm right here with you. I love you. Fear not. Do not be afraid. <clears throat> and I wonder, what if we exhibited that same level of faith in our Savior? What if instead of looking to get to the shore, looking to avoid suffering, looking to, avo- uh, to quickly move through the storm and get to the other side, we look for where Jesus is walking with us already and where he is working in us. I think this goes without saying that belief and faith in Jesus does not preclude storms from raging and popping up in your life. I say to college students, you know, you have experienced hard things, you will experience hard things, and you will continue to experience hard things. Young professional, same thing for you. You will you, uh, experience hard things you have, right? <clears throat> and yet, what Jesus is constantly reminding us over and over and over again is that we have no reason to fear the storms because he is with us and he is in control. And that is good news for all of us. Verse 21, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I'm not going to lie. When I first read this, I was like, wait. This kind of sounds like Dorothy clicking her heels and being back in Kansas immediately. Like, there's no way that Jesus hops in the boat and they're immediately where they are. And I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that they are no longer bound by fear of their surrounding circumstances because Jesus is in their midst, and that changes everything. The rest of the trip no longer seems as arduous because they've got the Savior of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who controls the winds and the waves in the boat with them. 
I do want to seek to encourage someone tonight who may find themselves in the middle of a storm. One, this is a great um, group, great gathering of people. I would certainly hope that within this context, you've got somebody that you've let in that's walking with you through whatever storm that you're facing. All right. But I also hope to encourage you through something that I really love about nature, which is that God tells us something about who he is through the nature that he's created. One of my favorite things I love to study is uh, oceanography. Uh, there's a part of the ocean called the Marianas Trench. Uh, it is the deepest part of, uh, on earth known to man. It is five times the length of the Grand Canyon. If you took the highest mountain, Mount Everest, and you put it inside of the um, um, Marianas Trench, there would still be a mile of water left over the peak of this mountain. It's an incredible display of the creativity of God, right? And you would wonder, like, why would God create a place like this? This is a place that is deep, and it's dark, and it's cold, right? Sun is so deep that sunlight cannot reach down there. If you were to somehow swim and make, make it down there, you would be crushed like that. You'd be turned to jelly in less than a millisecond. <clears throat> so don't try it. <laughs> but yet, in the middle of this deep and dark place, there is actually life that lives down there. There's this anglerfish. I should have put a picture up there, but it's this really disgusting-looking fish that has this rod that kind of, uh, it's like a unicorn, and it has this bioluminescent um, bulb on the end of it that is used to attract prey, right? <clears throat> there are very other species of animals that exist down there, but when I consider the Marianas Trench, it's a reminder to me that in the middle of whatever darkness I find myself in, that there is light, and that light is found in Jesus. Jesus who tells us that there is not a place that we can go where he is not with us. Whether that is the deepest part of the ocean or the highest part of the universe, there is not a place where God is not with us. The miracle of Jesus walking on water points us back to an even greater miracle, which is that we as sinners get to experience fellowship with our holy God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This means that no matter what storms you face, no matter what storms come in this life, we have a friend, we have an advocate, we have a savior that walks with us, who doesn't abandon us, who is faithful to the end. This is the beauty of scripture when we read a story like this, is that we get to see that uh, we, get to, we don't get to understand or know the thoughts of the disciples. We can uh, imagine what they were thinking in that moment. But we get to see that Jesus shows up every single time. The last thing um, before we close tonight that I would want to read to you guys, is this is Psalms 139, but this is uh, a kid's version. And this is what I aim to, to read to Isla every single night, no, at least once a week, um, that she's not fighting me over bedtime. Um, but this is really one of my favorite books. It's a little elementary, so I apologize, but... The message is still the same, that we have a good father who loves us, who is near us to the very end. God is my father who made everything, and I'm a little explorer of the wide world. He is near me, and he protects me. He sees me, and he knows me. He is strong, and he looks after me. He is with me always. However far I go, 
He is always near me. I should have asked. Y'all want to see pictures? <laughs> I could climb the, high, the biggest mountain. I could fly to the highest star. I could dive into the deepest sea. I could sail far, far away to the North Pole, and God would still be there. I could trek through jungles. I could ride through deserts. I could zoom as fast as light, and God would still be there. Even in the dark at night, he is still with me there. He stays close to me. He won't ever leave me because I am his little child, and he loves me. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for the story of a miracle, God, that is just absolutely incredible. The miracle of Jesus walking on water. That shows us exactly who you are. What a comfort it is to know, God, that you desire for us to know, to know you, to understand your heart, Lord. And that the way that you meet us, not just when things are good, Lord, but the way that you meet us in the midst of whatever storms you face, God, that is a gift made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God. So first and foremost, I say thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, God, that I get to, we get to experience fellowship with God because what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we get to walk with him, God, every step of the way, knowing that he is not going to leave us, knowing that he's not going to abandon us, and knowing that the work he is doing in us is far greater than we could ever anticipate. So, Lord, I pray that for each of these students tonight, Lord, who may be facing a, a plethora of decisions as they come upon graduation, who may be deciding about jobs or who may be uh, deciding about where to move, where to live, for those, God, who um, show up tonight, God, and they're just in need of the reminder that you're near and you're close. Lord, would you remind them of this beautiful truth that we see through the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. Thank you for our time tonight. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.